0: Hello, and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 93. This week, we're joining you from three continents and five different cities. So if our audio or internet connection isn't perfect, just please bear with us. I'm joined this week, of course, with my awesome co-host, Jim Casale of Gathering Magic and Modern Nexus, Travis Allen of MTG Price and MTG Fast Finance, and Ed Wynn of Kerwan's Game Store. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors CoolStuffInc.com and GatheringMagic.com who have provided us with free gift certificates to give away during the middle of these podcasts with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buy list bonus both online and at their events. CoolStuffInc.com is your store for all of the magic the Gathering needs. How you guys doing?
1: I don't know where the fifth person is from.
0: Oh, right uh ed's half brother will be joining us this week his name is nedward owen and uh he is from nam viet and he will be joining us later on the cast
1: oh okay you just miscounted.
0: uh it's actually because i I forgot doug is no longer on this cast and i got super sad (laughs) so hashtag free doug how you doing jim
1: uh i'm a little sick but otherwise doing okay
2: And Travis? I am similarly under the weather, uh, but I'm not okay. I'm grumpy and I'll complain about it.
0: And why are you grumpy and going to complain about it, Travis?
2: Because I'm under the weather and drinking tea. I don't understand.
0: All right. Well, we have some awesome MTG Finance stuff to get into your ears this week, listeners. We had a lot go on last week. Jim, would you want to start with price spikes? Do you want to start with standard or do you want to start with supplementary products?
1: Uh dealer's choice. Man, why am
0: I always the one choosing things? All right, we'll start That's with not price true, spikes cuz
1: you're recently often not been here.
0: Yeah, and I am lucky enough to have connection record this week. Let's start with price spikes. As everybody knows, masterpieces have been going through a lot of growth lately. It's been leading a lot of self-proclaimed MTG finance experts to say that uh you should be watching their clickbait videos because you know 30% return on this, 20% return on that. And I don't think I want to be in masterpieces after this week. I think there's better returns elsewhere. And I also think that there's going to be a uh, sell off as all these cards hit higher than normal price ranges like if i had the option between a masterpiece mox opal right now and a revised volcanic island which are both currently sitting at the same price point on various facebook groups i would take the revised volcanic island every single time um and i'll get into that a little more once my co-hosts have had a chance to have their little rebuttal and prove me wrong once again but uh at Seattle, there were people with literally one rows of masterpieces, and in some cases, 400-count boxes of a specific masterpiece that they've been holding onto, just waiting for the prices to go up. And I think that a lot of these cards are concentrated more in the hands of vendors right now than in the hands of players, especially with the recent price spikes. Uh, so we're going to see a lot of people try to get returns fast on masterpieces, whereas a couple months ago, the masterpiece market was more natural, and now it's just people going, oh, okay, this one spiked, I'm going to buy out Hangerback Walker. Oh, you know, all the masterpieces are spiking. So I'm going to go buy out all the expeditions. And that's where we're starting to see expeditions go up. uh, Because there's just certain people that are just buying a bunch to have, but I would rather have dual lands at this point, than masterpieces. Travis? Uh, Well, that's, so, I mean,
2: this is a topic we're talking about. I recently picked up a couple of masterpieces, um, so I have a a bit more of an interest in this than I might have on any other given week. Um, You know, the comparison between the Mox Opal and the Volcanic Island is interesting, perhaps intentionally or not, uh, maybe a bit misleading. Mox Opal just spiked from like, what, like 150, 200 to around 300, and Volcanic Island's been hanging out there for a while. So like th- at 300, you're talking about the Mox Opal, like spike price where you're, and then you're comparing that to the Volcanic Island's more stable price, it's been there for a while. So, I mean, I would agree with you, if I was gonna take $300 and choose between those two cards, I would pick the Volcanic Island. The question comes, not about those, not, a, not, uh, not Mox Opal, not Monoval, Aether Vial, any of the ones that have already popped, but rather the other ones. You know, uh, our extra planar lenses is at $40 good. Our arc bounder revenger is at $100 good. Um, those are the ones that are a little more interesting. Ed has talked at length about this before. He calls them the modern reserve list cards, which I think is a pretty, pretty way to phrase it. Um, and even still, inventions have only been out for, uh, this fall will have been two years, I believe. So a fairly short lifespan in terms of Magic cards um, and pricing, especially when you consider most of these cards derive their demand from older formats are not standard cards. They're not quite as um, susceptible to the whims of like today's metagame trends, right? Like six months is going to be nothing in the lifespan of these cards. I do think you raise a very good point with the fact that there could be players uh, or actors in the market with a deep supply that we're not aware of. I remember hearing the, the someone commenting about how he's have seen people open like 1K rows that were full of guys cradles. Now that's not an invention, but it goes to show like kind of where people's thinking is, is like there could be a couple of those real deep pockets of inventions that were you know we basically are invisible right now. They're not, we don't see them, but they're out there. Uh, and I think that's possible. Um, I guess the question is how much that matters, even if you can, you know, we know that the print run on them was only so large, um, so it's not like there can be that many in existence, but beyond that, like, even if like, there are a couple of people out there with, let's say a thousand copies of any given masterpiece, a thousand isn't actually that many, right? Like a thousand is, what is that? 20 per state, 20 times 50 is a, is a thousand. So like, that means, hold up, hold
0: up, hold up, hold up.
2: Did I do that you math can't wrong? can't be,
0: you can't be doing big numbers with the, with the Missouri boy over here. You got to slow that math down a little bit. But yes, it's right.
2: Yeah, a thousand. So that means if, if in every state 20 people buy the same masterpiece, you've, you've emptied that guy's inventory. And I don't think that that's unreasonable. Now, is that going to happen overnight? No. Is it going to happen in two weeks, three weeks, a month? No, probably not. If you're looking at opportunity costs, it's definitely very high on a lot of them. Uh, so, you know, especially for someone like a vendor who doesn't own a lot of adventures right now and is deciding whether or not to buy them, I can see the liquidity, you know, their relative liquidity compared to other stuff you could be churning through not worth it at all. For the armchair investor who isn't trying to churn that hard, they do seem fairly promising. Um, just from the fact that like they really have shown no signs of doing anything other than going up and it's like nigh impossible to lose money on them. At least it feels that way.
0: Right, but my argument is the ROI is better on other cards. And the other thing you want to keep an eye out on for is mm-hmm. eBay's quarter just ended, so they have no incentive to continue to offer all these insane discounts that they were trying to pump their uh, quarter one sales at. And a lot of people have already gotten their tax returns back and spent that on masterpieces and other cards, which is why they're also going up. Uh, actually, I think today is the day taxes are due. So if you're listening to this and you haven't filed your tax re- form, uh, you're in trouble. That was like the um, 15th. I think businesses was April 10th,
2: maybe. Oh, businesses, maybe. Um, it sounds like you and I are thinking on a fundamentally different timescale. Yeah. Like, you're you're talking about, like, uh, the ROI type of thing, like, and the, there's better places to put your money, it's faster, uh, and I don't disagree with that. I'm positive there are cards out there with a better ROI in a short term, right? Like, you can make more money. I guess the flip side of that is there is basically
0: nothing more secure. Like, what card... Except reserve list. Cards, but this is, is why we're seeing guy, right? them go up. I mean, I think intuition just spiked today too. um We're seeing treachery go up, all that stuff. Like the, I, I would argue that reserveless cards, as long as you actually know how to identify fakes, are much better as far as ROI and liquidity than masterpieces right now.
2: I mean, maybe I guess it depends on which ones you're talking about. I don't really want to be buying dual lands personally. Um, and I guess the time frame on those is probably relatively similar, I suppose. Uh, I, I can see an argument being made for reserveless cards, but that doesn't it doesn't mean the masterpiece cards aren't available. like aren't a good buy. You could buy Arkgon Revengers at a hundred bucks right now and they you could be selling them for two hundred dollars in a month. Like I don't know that that's gonna happen, but like are we making like, a bet on oh, this? this? Can we no, bet? I, I already made a bet on this. I made a bet uh, on this earlier this week. I'm tired uh, of winning so much so much lately. With- <laughs> With you got a long ways bet. to go. You got a long ways to go on that bet with that buddy. I got six months. Yeah. Well, remember, didn't it like triple in the span of a month last year? Yeah. I would say you're not out of the woods on that one until January first. Yeah, Jim.
0: Do you want to chime in here?
1: Um, I I think I more agree with Travis than with you, Jeremy. I think that masterpieces are very very similar to duels and stuff like that, where like they're basically reserve list cards. Um. The thing that really I'm more interested in is the... law. Like, if you want to go super long-term, like, if you want to buy these and just sit on them and just, like, leave them in a closet for a while, I feel like you might do better with Masterpieces at this point because um, all of the Masterpieces are Modern Legal and none of the reserve list cards that you care about... Well, no, actually, none of the reserve list cards are Modern Legal. That's, like, the point of Modern. So, to me, I think that eventually... Like, if there's a big surge in player base, for example, because, you know, maybe Dominaria is, like, so good, a lot of people come back to the game, whatever. I think I'd want to be holding modern legal cards because those are the kinds of cards that will be... There'll be more demand for, even if there's more supply of it. So To
0: to clarify, are you saying that you want to hold modern legal cards for one of two reasons? As Are you saying this is that it's better... Returns than any card on the reserve list and like I'm not getting picky. and like trying to get you just like the general reserve list portfolio versus the general masterpiece portfolio Or are you saying that you'd rather be in modern because modern fell so far at the end of last year in terms of overall prices of all of the cards and you see it rebounding to a previous
1: uh, Price level. I mean, it's a little bit of both of those things but also the, the fact that like modern cards are just a lot easier for me to move specifically like selling modern legal cards in general, you just have more people that you can sell them to. Like, the amount of people that are willing to pay whatever the price of an underground sea is at this point is much smaller than the amount of people that will pay the amount of money that it costs for, like, uh, expedition wooded foothills or whatever. Like, I feel like modern legal cards that even modern legal cards that are also like legacy like staples, like fetch lands, I think long term will be easier to get rid of, also. Um I think at some point in time this the the amount of money that it costs to buy reserveless cars is just gonna make it impossible to sell them to anyone because like i'm 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 not really sure like what happened after moat spiked, but I feel like it's just way too much money for the average person to ever consider purchasing and at that point, like what do you do with those kinds of things if you're more like me where, like, I don't really want to go to a Grand Prix and try to sell it to a store or whatever. And I don't really want to have to mail a $200, $300 card to someone. I'm I'm more comfortable with smaller quantities or smaller numbers on the cards that I have and making a good return on them. So I don't know if the, the return will be as high as if you buy reserveless cards, but it's definitely easier to get out of them. And I think that they have the potential to have more upside because I think that there will be more people that will be playing modern in the future than legacy, more new players, I should say.
0: Yeah, Travis, do you want to uh, you want to close this out here before we move on to the next topic? Uh, well, I mean, I, I
2: I made my bet. I I really like masterpieces. I, I mean, really like you know, if you're buying Treacheries at twelve dollars or master archon Revengers at a hundred, you're probably going to make money either way. So it's really a question of which one you. Are more comfortable with and which one you have more access to so i mean arguing about whether reserve lists or masterpieces are better is probably inconsequential to most of our listeners since they're really both good choices
0: can i talk about a card on the reserve list as our next topic that i don't want to be holding sure so tabernacle spiked to 2000 recently as in yep. like the last week um vendors were paying considerably more and i wish ed was actually having connection right now because i was talking to him about this about at the gp oh and thanks to everybody who came up and said hi to us at the gp ed had one person walk up to him and recognize him i had 15 it was great like uh,
2: across the room
0: yeah i mean ed's like a six eight dude just walking around but i was sitting at uh the higher booth and one of our listeners cody who bought or 95 And Cody, who sometimes listen to this cast, who works for 95, could not finish buying cards off me because there was just people who just kept interrupting him to say hi. So that was pretty funny. Uh, But someone recognized Ed and they're like, aren't you on some sort of podcast? So whoever that person is that sort of recognized Ed, we appreciate you a lot. (laughs) It made his his spirits crushed that day. Uh, Almost as small as uh, he is. But uh, anyway, Tabernacle went up. The BIOS at GP Seattle was fourteen hundred to fifteen hundred on a near mint tabernacle and thirteen hundred to fourteen hundred on an LP tabernacle, and that is twenty to thirty percent more than what ancestral recall is going for. Um, I think that power is, and just based off the last couple of weeks, I know Sig's been talking to me about this, like power's starting to go up a couple percentage points every week. Uh, because you're seeing stuff like Celestial Colonnade Spike, because you're seeing four to $500 underground seas. Uh, we're getting back to that parody where you could trade four Scalding Tarns for an underground sea uh, like a while ago, uh, when right before underground sea, right before Dual Spike during the last modern boom of like 2012, 2013. We're now getting to the next vintage boom, I think, where you can trade three to four underground seas for a piece of power. And I think that's completely off. And buy lists are starting to reflect that, but I put my money where my mouth is and I liquidated my tabernacles over the weekend. And then I got rid of the last one today. Um, I don't want to have money in tabernacles. Like I understand this card might go up, but at $2,000, the ROI of that card is basically spent. Whereas recall could easily hit $2,000 and no one would really care because mm-hmm. the amount of people that can afford an ancestor recall, um, it's going to be the same, whether it's 1,200 or 2,000, in my opinion. And we're already starting to see Bizarre Bagdad go, Library spiked. And it's not just that people are buying on old-school cards. It's that these cards are actually seeing play in vintage and in old-school, as much as some of us might hate this that format on this cast. Um, I just don't see a world where Tabernacle at 2,000 is correct and Ancestral Recall at 2,000 is not. So that's just a card I have my eye on is a lot of power. And Moxon, they're up about 10%. Uh, from the last GP I went to two weeks ago from Seattle. So it's just like from Phoenix to Seattle, the price is just way higher. So it's something to keep an eye on, in my opinion. And
2: that's probably fair. Like I I would also rather have two ancestral recalls or a recall and a half than a tabernacle. Um, But, you know, that's basically the idea of selling to the spike, right? Like tabernacle spike, ancestral recall didn't. So sell tabernacles and buy recalls. Seems reasonable. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. And to be fair,
0: we, we understand that like 0.1% of the people listening to this podcast ever want to buy a tabernacle or recall, but it's just something to keep in mind if you're going for like that first iconic expensive card, or if you're trying to complete a set of legends or Arabian nights, like get the vintage legal cards before you get the legacy only cards. What did the, uh, what are Italian tabernacles? Uh, I sold one this weekend for a thousand and fifty dollars for an LP. Another LP one for eleven $1, hundred, and a near mint one for twelve fifty. And on site, they had MP ones at nine hundred retail, and those were gone by the end of the week. So, so
1: like the funny thing about Tabernacle to <laughs> me, it's like this is the kind of card that if I ever wanted to play Legacy, I would have to own, and that's like the biggest detriment to me ever trying to play that format. Is like, I would want to play lands and I could never own a tabernacle because they're just too expensive. But yeah, I think that what Travis is like, it spiked, sell it, <laughs> buy the thing that didn't spike makes a lot of sense. I mean, you could apply that logic to literally every format at this point. Like, you know, we try to say buy stuff that recently got reprinted because that's the stuff that drops. And then you can use that, you know, money when it rebounds to buy the things you need.
0: Yeah. And then two more anecdotal things about like things getting too high and selling them. Um, I'm starting to short my Noble Hierarchs. I don't think that they get reprinted in the next six months, but like while Modern is hot, I'd rather get rid of like my excess copies. Um, and I saw a lot of fake Noble Hierarchs last week. So that's something to keep in mind if you have a loop. Um, allegedly, a customer uh, had some come in from Mini Market, and he brought them into our shop. And he said he allegedly got them from any market and they were completely fake. Um, and then we had an, we had another set walk in on Friday that was fake, and the buyer didn't tell us like seller didn't tell us like where those were from. And then someone else like traded for fake nobles on the floor at Seattle. So it, I don't know like what's going on with that card or like if they're specifically targeting it with the seventh run of these uh this fake seventh run coming out of uh the Far East, but it's just like, I don't know why I'm starting to see so many people try and sell fake Noble Hierarchs. So it's just probably, something to keep an eye on.
2: It's probably a good card to fake because people are going to be really suspect of like Tabernacles and even like two or $300 cards, but like who the hell is checking Noble Hierarchs as fakes? And they're what, $65, $70?
0: Yeah. And like the greatest piece of MTG Finance advice we can give is like buy a loop for $3 off Amazon. Because like even if you're interested in MTG Finance, like a $3 loop is going to save your butt on like a $20 trade. It, it's yeah. just so, so worth it. Just think of it as $3 of insurance. And you can also like, you'll like be known at the shop as like the guy to trust when it comes to like, Making sure cards are real, like, hey, can I borrow your loop? Stuff like that. It's like really important for your local community that uh, people aren't being sold or trading fake cards. Also, if you position yourself
2: like that, you can start selling fake cards, and people will believe you.
1: (laughs) Jeez, Travis. Travis is the uh, angle shoot. (laughs) Travis is the moderator of unethical life pro tips on Reddit. Don't don't actually do that, by the way. Yeah.
0: So, like at FNM, someone came in and tried to sell us fake nobles, and then like four or five customers wanted to know what fake cards look like and I didn't have any conflux nobles on the shelf. And then 30 minutes later, someone came in and sold a real set of them and we put the fake ones up to the real ones. And it was like night and day, obviously uh, like they could tell something was off of the card stock because the fake qualities aren't getting that close. Or if they are like, they're just perfect and we're already, it's already over. Uh, but like you show them a loop and like you hand them a loop and they check like all the print patterns and like the set symbol and all that. And it's just super easy. It's uh, so like a $3 loop guys. Just just get one. It'll save you so many headaches
1: For anyone wondering at home uh, The easiest place to check for a fake card is on the set symbol the black ink that goes around the outside of the set symbol is a different layer So when you look at the card, you'll see the rosette pattern like you'll see little little dots that make up The ink on the card and the black around the set symbol will not be in the same pattern So if you see that the rosette pattern going through the set symbol, the black outline on the set symbol, you know, it's fake. And of course that's
2: not a hard and fast rule, uh, but it's a good, it's a good tip. Yeah.
0: Like if you know, for example, that they're going to check the fake set symbol, then you make that part of the card real. And then you just tape the rest to it and sell it to Travis and hope he doesn't check the back of the card where there's a lot of scotch tape works every
1: time. Yeah, probably would work. So I was trying to be nice and informative and you guys are just, no,
2: I think it's a good tip, but it's just, if people rely. I, I think it's a good tip, but it's one of those things like it works now, but they'll fix it. You know, the counterfeit will get better, and then it won't work. So just keep that in mind. Like none of yeah. no tip for identifying them is perfect because they they evolve.
0: Yeah, and I check three things on every card. I check the yellow dot on the back of the card, which is generally the one of the easier places to identify old fakes. I check the set symbol, and then I check the name. Um, and, like, if it's a more expensive card, I'll check, like, all of it, but normally three checks on three different parts of the card are good enough. So, that's what I do.
1: Okay. Jim, you got a uh, question of the week for us? I do. Our winner this week is Landon Crispens. and Landon asks, uh, you mentioned legacy reprints being a major discount from previous levels, like Storm, and Iconic Masters, Berserk and Show and and Conspiracy, and now we're... Richard and Masters 25. These cards have hit 70 to 80% discounts and have never truly recovered. With that being said, what in your opinion is the true demand for a legacy to proportionate to modern? How does it how does that say what does that say, sorry, to the demand of future legacy reprints? Sorry, I had to cough there. Um well, I kind of mentioned this earlier in the cast, but like the price of a lot of legacy cards at this point, even cards that are not on the reserve list, is due to rarity and not due to um, demand. Like, Richard we'll use this as an example, is pretty much only played in, like, one really popular legacy deck and, like, a couple of other... Well, maybe, like, two really popular legacy decks and, like, some fringe ones and basically nowhere else. Like, it's not a card anyone plays in Commander, really... It's not a card that's legal and modern, so the demand for that card is pretty much predicated on people being able to purchase all the other cards for the deck. That being said, one of those decks is Death and Taxes, and it's pretty cheap other than the ports, so maybe there is a chance that it recovers a little bit more than it has now. But there's still an order of magnitude larger number of people that play modern than play Legacy. You can tell this pretty easily if you look at, like, the attendance for large modern events versus large legacy events. License slender. Just... No, don't License slander. me. I mean, it depends, of, of course, on where you live. Like maybe the local player place has more legacy cards than modern cards. So your mileage may vary in your local area. However, as in Magic as a broad scope, modern is the most popular format. It has the most amount of players and it is the, place where they're going to try to put the most reprints. Um, even though they don't say that there are new modern master sets in earnest anymore, I think there will be a heavy slant towards reprinting modern legal cards that are in demand because that will drive set sales.
0: Revis.
2: Mm. Legacy demand is
0: <clears throat>
2: probably a bit overrepresented on our cast
0: can confirm
2: uh <clears throat> i wrote an article many years ago about this and i used Luan cephalid empress as a, an example of what had been like a 20 to 40 dollar legacy card when merfolk was a big deal and Luan was great in that deck and then crashed to like three dollars when it fell out of favor and hadn't been played in a year or two i think and Luan continues to say bargain bin prices and you know, if suddenly it got popular, it might spike a little bit, but the idea is that legacy cards aren't inherently valuable, um, especially those not on the reserve list. Uh, I think that's true even of stuff that we for a long time considered to be bulletproof, like show and tell or Flusterstorm or whatever, because it had been so long without one further reprints will basically crush all non reserve list cards especially because for most legacy decks, you can't reprint them into oblivion. If wizards wanted to, they could print a modern affinity event deck with just like the standard modern affinity 75 and just smash those prices into the ground. And affinity would be a really cheap deck. You can't do that in legacy because all the money that would be in that deck kind of spread out. Every time they reprint those cards, the staples drop, but then it can all shove into the reserve list cards. Cause like, can't reprint those, which basically means that there's nothing like preventing the non reserve list cards from cratering. Like they can just keep going lower because there's some kind of someplace else for the value to go. Uh, So I guess, I guess basically uh, I would not want to be holding on to any non reserve list legacy cards. Let's put it that way. They all seem like a ticking time bomb
0: to me. And have we really seen any like meaningfully recover? I mean, I'm sure they will wasteland. That sort of stuff, but very few examples. I think that's one of the best pieces of advice you've given this year, Travis. <laughs> Thank you. But I mean, it's not. But it's in
2: like Force of Will and Wasteland have recovered, but not even to their highs, right? Like right, Wasteland example. was like one hundred and twenty-five dollars at one point. Force of Will was like one hundred and sixty or something. And now, what are they like seventy-five bucks? You know, and forty, which is better than the lows, but it's not what they were.
0: I think it's only a matter of time until we see Force of Will at forty dollars. And I think it's only a matter of time until we see Tarmogoyf at $40 again, regardless of its playability, because that was the trajectory it was headed towards until, like, Jun became a thing in Modern again. Yeah. But in, like, five years, what is their plan? Like, you can't reprint Elspeth's Sons Champion at Mythic and, like, have that sell sets. Uh, So, like, at some point, these cards are going to get hit, as Travis said. But, like, once again, it shouldn't matter what type of, like, if you're going for the investment style of MTG collecting, you shouldn't be putting your money into magic as an investment in the first place. You should be putting it into 401ks and mutuals and all that. But if you're trying to make like, if you're trying to play magic for cheap or at least at like a, not necessarily trying to play magic for free, but like trying to minimize your expenses for your hobby, then um, I would argue buying into legacy is a good idea. And then just not worrying about like if sneak attack and show until get reprinted again, um, because the format is less susceptible to bans and like format shakeups versus modern. Um, but if you're looking at it from, I want to use magic to pay my bills or I want to try and flip cards, then realistically it shouldn't matter what you're buying, whether it's modern or legacy, as long as you're buying the cards for the correct prices. Um because as long as you're essentially making a bet on every card, if you're buying a show and tell for $8, you're essentially making a bet saying you can sell it for $11 before it gets reprinted again. And like, God knows how long. Uh, and you're also making that bet when you buy scalding turns at 45 and you're trying to sell them for 60. Um, I think buying magic cards is just putting, you're basically placing bets. And when you buy a bio list, you're placing the same bet that other companies are betting with, but, if you're buying for yourself to flip above a company, you're essentially placing a more risky bet that you're able to make a profit on that card um, before it gets reprinted at some point down the road. Does that make sense? Like it's it's like a weird train of thought, but every time you're buying a card to try and flip it or to try and like see it go up, you're just placing bets versus other people on like whose house of cards is going to fall first. Uh, I mean, you're definitely placing bets. I don't know if I'd say.
2: Saying that you're placing it against other people is kind of weird. It feels very oppositional, which I don't think right. is necessarily accurate. But you're definitely placing a bet, like essentially against demand, against the market. I suppose is a fair way to put it.
0: Yeah, and the way I mean placing bets is like if someone's trying to sell cards to Channel Fireball and you offer them ten percent more, you're essentially like you're in, you're uh, introducing a type of risk that's higher than like what that multi-million dollar company's bet is making where like they're saying we will be able to make a profit if we buy Noble Hierarchs at $40. You're taking on that element of risk by saying, I will buy them at $45 and I will be able to get a better return on them. Or-
2: Fireball, so I can make decisions that they can't, and it was it, both of us are correct, right? Like I can choose to buy something that's cor- and that's correct for me, and buy, Channel Fireball cannot buy the same thing, and it's correct from their position because we're different operators. And I think the best example of that is bulk, right? Like it is a bad idea for me to buy bulk. Channel Fireball can be very profitable with it. I don't have the infrastructure. Uh, <clears throat> You know, it's how, you know, Doug does stuff that I could never do, but at the same time, I can get away with doing stuff that Doug might not be able to do. So but in general, I think your concept is correct. You're saying I can do something with this that somebody else can't. The, the, the trick is knowing that whether or not that's correct, like being confident and accurate in those assertions, because where you're right, you can be profitable and where you're wrong, you're just making a bad bet that other people didn't make for a very good reason. And you just didn't realize it. Right. But and usually the- that's something you learn after the fact, not ahead of yeah. time.
0: And like the the only reason like I'm referring to it as a bet against other people is a lot of people, a lot of like binder grinders or like MTG finance people in their local area will buy for like 10% below channel Fireball. And they're essentially trying to make a, a uh, zero risk bet where they're saying, even if I buy this card in the same condition that this company's buying it in, I'll still be guaranteed a profit. But like the seller might just like not even view you as ripping off but, or... Not even like view you approaching them as like, oh, he's going to rip me off because he's paying ten percent below Star City, but he'll just be like, well, I'm going to go with this other entity that's made like a better bet uh, for my favor, I guess. And like the advantage of making these quote unquote bets that are more aggressive is if I'm known as the guy that pays sixty dollars on Force of Will, I will get repeat business because other people will see that I'm publicly putting that bet out there and they'll try to give me their business, and like you know, thinking of like buying and selling magic cards as bets isn't necessarily the correct idea, but it helps a lot when it comes to like the mindset of like buying high-end cards, especially when it comes to like buying your first $100 card. Like, what do you want to pay on that? What bet are you placing on that if you want to see a return? Like, are you buying a $90 Arcbound Ravager that's currently at 100 Or are you buying a $55 Arcbound Ravager because you're making the same bet that a giant company is?
2: Well that, and that, that's probably fair if only if you, if only because thinking about it in terms of bets uh, might be a good way of getting people to think about risk versus reward right yeah like, there we go what, we what go. is the Make what stress. is the risk with this with this purchase right like what are the possible downsides and if you're not thinking about that you could really burn yourself So it gets you to think about like how things could go wrong, which is an important thing to consider. And sometimes the answer is I don't really think it can go wrong. And that's kind of how I feel about masterpieces. And it's kind of how Jeremy feels about volcanic Island. It's like, there's no realistic scenario where this is bad for me. But if you're like, Oh, I'm going to pay $5 more on noble hierarch than channel fireball. It's like, well, how do you get hosed in this exchange? Uh, They reprint noble hierarch before you have a chance to out them. That's a good way to get hammered. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's. Uh, but I don't think it's an unfair way to, to to think about it.
1: I actually had this this come up pretty recently. Um, a friend of mine was getting out of magic and he wanted to sell his cards. And he made a a spreadsheet and organized them all. And then asked me if I was going to pay more than buy list for them, because he just otherwise he was just going to buy list into the store or whatever. And you know, normally I would say you know most people would be like yeah you just pay a little bit more and everything's fine but like realistically i went through the list and a lot of the cards were very close to tcg low at that point went for the buy list bonus so i basically picked out a, a, a you know a subset of cards that were that were less risk like i didn't buy his blood gasts that were like 80 percent of what they were on tcg player but i did buy his liliana of the veils that were like 60 percent of tcg player for example. Like where the risk for me getting rid of them is pretty low. And the fact that I get stuck with them and end up with a bunch of cards that I can't sell or are worth less than what I paid for them is not going to happen. So it's definitely in your best interest to make sure that you're you're managing your risk well and making sure that even if it's, it looks like a good deal, you may still want to back out and, and just not deal with it. It's not worth it.
0: Yeah, because I think at some point, like a rite of passage in this industry is buying a collection that you don't make money on.
1: And like mm-hmm. that,
0: that hasn't been like a thing. Like that wasn't really widespread until like Brainstorm Brewery brought it up and like finance people started covering it in like 2014, 2013. But like before that, like these people with stars in their eyes of like making it big and like the magic grinding scene, like would just they would lose money and like they were like, How did this happen? Like, what did I do? And it's like because you're placing that bet that uh, you're paying so aggressively on cards to like get them in that you're not actually making any money once you're sending them out. Like, especially with Travis's, like my card went up three hundred percent article, and I still made no money. Like that one. Uh, that was like a really good article. It's like a good back to basics finance article. that
2: so. yeah, gets brought up frequently.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I I have definitely bought collections that I did not profit on, or basically, I don't I don't know if I bought a collection that I've lost money on but I have definitely bought collections that I, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for
0: here? It wasn't worth was you time
2: to do it. Yeah, I definitely, uh, it did not work out in my favor in the long run.
0: Yeah. Like I bought a future site collection that had like 18 horizon canopies and I paid like $55 on horizon canopies. And like the next week horizon canopy got spoiled and like, I definitely lost a lot of money, but like, that was a bet I was willing to take is that like Horizon Canopy wouldn't be in there and it didn't pan out. And like even yeah. though I was matching Biolist on Horizon Canopy, like that that was still the wrong move to make.
2: Yep. I've had cards get reprinted from collections for sure.
0: Yeah. So Ed, how you doing? Uh good. <laughs> wow, Ed, thank you for the awesome information. How was Seattle for you?
3: Uh it was alright. I was only there like a prelude restricted amount of time. I was there a little bit on Thursday uh to buy cards, spent like all my money on masterpieces,
0: and Ken then confirm he spent all of his money on masterpieces. And then I was pretty much
3: not really on site for the rest of the weekend. It was a good weekend.
0: Is there anything that you want to add to this conversation about legacy uh reprints? Being a major discount from previous levels, and like Flusterstorm, Berserk, and Show and Tell, that they've gone down seventy-five percent, and they haven't recovered.
3: Uh, I, I doubt those cards will ever recover, especially like, like Berserk was kind of one of those like once upon a time cards. It used to be very good because Infect was a, uh, a much more popular deck than it was. That that kind of disappeared. Berserk used to be a Japan card, and then that also kind of disappeared. So now Berserk just just doesn't do anything anymore like obviously like the alpha beta ones still uh still fetch plenty of money but like there's not really that much demand for conspiracy ones and it, it just feels like i i berserk is kind of an odd one because it because it does have like a very sought after old printing but a card like fluster storm there's relatively static demand that card will always be good it continues to be very very good japan relative to the tcg market um but they've they've obviously taken a hit, and I think it's one of those things you have to be really really careful about hedging, um, because I think you have to you're, you have to kind of approach it with the expectation that you could get burned any minute with like a reprint. Like they could announce, I, I can't remember when their next announcement day was, but they could announce like oh some supplemental product is just going to have you know a copy of foster Storm in it, or they could, which very well could be a possibility. Commander Anthologies two is one of those sets where if they do reprint the. Uh, it? I think the blue-white-red one, the Jeskai uh, commander deck that has Fluster Storm in it, I think like Flush Storm is going to take another non-zero hit from where it is already. And it's already taken a substantial hit from where it was prior to the IMA reprint.
0: All right, well, I think we've answered this question pretty well. Jim, do you want to go ahead and wrap it up? Right,
1: so uh, Landon, you can send me a message on uh, Facebook or Twitter, I'll get you your twenty-five dollar gift certificate for CoolStuffing.com. Uh, if any of you are listening right now and like to win next week, you can uh, leave a comment on the Gathering Magic page that this cast will go up on. as uh, should go up on Wednesday, and uh, if you get chosen and we answer your question on the cast, then you have to contact me for your store credit.
0: Cool Beans, Ed. Is there anything you want to talk about? Uh- trend wise or like in modern legacy reserve list any of that stuff that you observed in Seattle or that you've observed lately and plan to capitalize on uh do you guys talk about masterpieces already we did (laughs) oh damn I missed out yeah (laughs) for those who don't know Ed is currently in do you want to do you want to say where you're in vacation
3: well is that sorry you you cut out for a second there
0: would you like to say where you are on vacation right now? Oh, I'm in Sydney right now.
3: We, in case you guys can't, you guys don't have uh, video because I'm trying to hotspot off my phone, but uh, I'm here with Bernie, Josh, and Monty. And Bernie is a genius who decided to book us a hotel that is apparently a part of a questionable Chinese gambling parlor <laughs> that looks yeah, sketchy, as, sketchy as all hell. So we are at a slightly nicer hotel in the lobby. Which is, why like, took me so, which is why it took me so long to get on.
2: Sounds like you could not be happier about this. Yep.
3: Uh, I mean, I, we are no longer at the sketchy you know, yeah, hostel absolutely. attached to gambling parlor. Yeah, so, but you're going to go there after you're done talking to us, right? Uh, no, there's a nicer hotel. I, I, I would like to eat breakfast as well. And, and get then gamble. There. We get it,
0: Ed. We get it. Right, uh, right. For those who want to say hi to Ed this weekend, I know Kip, who is actually watching this cast live right now, is going to say hi to Ed at uh, GP Sydney. Um, Doug and I will be at GP Hartford this weekend as well. If you guys want to say hi, um, there's a lot of cartel people going up to GPs lately and it's really nice. Like I didn't realize we had this many listeners. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ed, we were talking about how many times you were recognized at Seattle. So we're proud of you. Zero or relatively little. It was nice. One, one, one whole person for Ed. Yeah.
3: Okay. I, I I wasn't really available most of the time, so I think that uh if I miss anyone, I'm sorry. I I just wasn't there. My parents actually drove up from Portland for the weekend and actually spent a fair amount of time with them away from the Grand Prix.
0: Which is a smart thing to do. Well, Ed, do you wanna add into this masterpiece discussion? Or do you do you think that we have clearly covered everything as we spend every week flying around the world buying magic cards?
3: Uh, I have no idea like what bit you talked about masterpieces. I can assume that you guys talked about uh, Travis pulling the trigger on a huge masterpiece buy.
0: I wasn't
2: gonna mention that. Yeah, I also didn't mention that. I said I oh. bought some. <laughs> oh, okay, awkward. Uh,
0: I bought I a mean, Are you gonna talk about anything? how many you own? Like it's the same thing. <laughs>
3: Uh, I mean, Masterpieces was far and away the best buy this weekend for me. See, uh, a lot of- see you
0: listeners, he's not going to disclose how many he owns. Neither I, is Travis. I,
2: I will I will say that I spent four digits.
0: Ford, full disclosure, I sold all but maybe 10 Masterpieces and Invocations and Expeditions that I owned. I think I only have 10 left. Jeez. So I have shorted them all, besides 10.
1: Uh, full disclosure, uh, I've just been buying Unstable Basics.
0: That's good crazy. investment Jim you've already seen a 30% return at least <laughs> Jim's beating us all with the long con I, I wanted you know, to buy
1: those I, damn things and never saw the opportunity for it no, there is no opportunity you have to buy them now it's insane every time they go out, I'm sorry if you've won cool stuff store credit and wanted to buy these every time they come into stock I buy them all out I apologize
0: hashtag evil speculators Ed do you want to talk about how many you own or you just want to talk about what your thoughts on the masterpieces are
3: I probably have like over twelve hundred masterpieces now, or something after this week's haul. So,
0: twelve hundred. Yep. Yeah, I can confirm that based on what I saw at Seattle. So, yeah. And
3: I mean, I twelve hundred. That's for sure. I, I I own something like eighty Sundering Titans. So, the likelihood of me like turning those over is probably not great. But I
1: have that a lot. sounds awful. Like that's like one of the ones you can. Oh, there's only like one guy. In every friend group that maybe has a cube that plays one of them.
2: The flip side of that. Well, sorry, go ahead, Ed.
3: I don't expect everything to sell overnight, right? And then, in theory, if the buy, like my buy-in is so low on these, and the amount they've jumped is so much, like if these ever appear on buy list at a reasonable rate, I could very well just ship off, like you know, a bunch of these off to a buy list at some point.
0: Ed, I'll offer a dollar each on your Sundering Titans.
3: I didn't pay much more, but no thanks.
0: Hashtag humble bread. I will give you $2 for one of them. Yes. <laughs> all right. So, Ed, why are you putting so much of your time and money into masterpieces?
3: I mean, I said this, like, more than a year ago, like, before these all started booming, and it just felt like I'm so very... Uh, I I still feel like these are the equivalent of modern day uh, reserveless, and if you compare them to how much reserveless cards have trended up, it feels like I'm pretty right about it. So I think it's just a matter like people trying to jump on the bandwagon at this point.
0: All right, and we'd like to thank uh, Bernie of loot and Monty for adding some words of encouragement in there as well. Um, Yeah, it's just interesting, like. I guess Travis now does want to talk about at Travis. How much money did you burn this week in buying magic cards this weekend? Yeah. Zero. On your masterpieces zero. Are we getting technical or are you just being a smart ass? Uh, <clears throat> technical. I spent $0 this weekend on magic cards. Travis, how much money did you spend on masterpieces in the last week?
2: I said it was four digits.
0: Okay. Four digits listeners. So Ed has spent quite a considerable amount of money based off what I've seen uh on masterpieces travis has put his money where his, where his mouth is and i have decided to sell all of mine so i am probably wrong once again but uh that's just out there for the listeners to decide because i i don't want to hold a 300 mox opal when i can spend that 300 dollars on basically any other magic card so yeah i will say i did not buy any mox opals all right, Travis. Well, let's get into pick of the week so we can see exactly what you bought. Ed, would you like to go first? Uh, yep. Days. Days
3: is uh days has not I hate popped. you. I was going to call oh, that. Oh, I right. was
0: actually going to call that. I had it uh, written down and I had the numbers still. pulled
3: uh, out. Right. Get Uh Days uh, hasn't popped yet. Uh, it's one of those like four of them legacy for like Delver based decks, um, which actually I'm actually a little worried about. Like the longevity of uh, Grixis Delver specifically, Deathrite Shaman, I think has shown that it's like pretty oppressive in, uh, in Legacy. There's a lot of calls for it to be banned. I think it's just one of those things that kind of funnels and fuels like a lot of very, they're not necessarily degenerate, but they're just very oppressive and very fun to play against because it's one of those cards that kind of makes or breaks a match, as, at least like the first few turns. Um, and obviously, like Daze is very good in like delver-based strategies. Um, I see twenty-two sellers on TCG Player. It's at fifty-seven dollars. Um, the art is very sweet. Uh, my only reservation about it is that it's not a cube or EDH card because it's so narrow an application. It
0: is a cube card.
3: It is a cube card. Okay, I've seen Easy. cubes. I've seen cubes. That have cut it mainly because it's kind of hard to get a powerful enough strategy where you can capitalize on. Uh, the early tempos yeah, so. blue,
0: blue red tempo and cube is a big archetype i also want to add that some vendors are buying these for more than like what some other vendors were selling them for as ed knows i had to pick up a place of these for a customer that was pimping out his uh gracious Delver list this weekend and like there were a couple available for 50 but basically everybody was selling at 70 to 75 and they were selling out very fast uh same with force of oil uh, you could find those like for one forty to one fifty, and then by the end of the weekend they were like 160, 165. Yeah,
3: like the art is like, despite what people say, like you don't have to like the uh, the card face, but like the art, I think on days is probably like very very high up there. I think there's quite a few people who are attracted to the card just because of the art, and apparently I found out like a lot of people seem to be wanting to collect like one of each uh, masterpiece as well. Um, so. If you if you want these things, just I've said before, get in sooner rather than later because at some point these are just going to disappear. And yeah, man, crypto that-
0: is about to pop. You need to get in sooner rather than later before everyone catches on.
3: Hey, I don't want to hear it.
2: Mm-hmm. We were arguing about this earlier too. Ed, he was bragging that he'd already won the bet.
0: <clears throat> oh, uh, and we did have one person walk up to like see Ed and make the head shave motion, so I was very happy about that. <laughs> The the rubbins. Yeah, literal rubbins on the head. Jim, what's your pick of the week?
1: Uh, I kind of already said it. Uh, I think the unstable basics will never be less expensive than they are today. Um, If you want any of them, please buy them now. Because once players decide that, hey, I'm going to go in on my draft set of basics or whatever, they're just going to probably double in price. Uh, People buy a ton of them at once. There are a lot of people that enjoy them. I personally like i said have been purchasing them every time i see them and stores don't, i don't really feel like I get a whole ton of them in stock at once like not a lot of sellers have a large number of them on TCG player as it is not to mention
3: uh the the uptrend for uh just unstable sealed product like it's a very very popular format like i know a lot of people who did buy in early like they pre-ordered a case or whatever they've more or less have just kind of gone through it drafting or having fun with their friends or whatever or opening them for unstable basics and if you look like on tc player eBay Amazon all these platforms have boxes like in like at least like 125 to 130 now
1: I mean out of the top six or the top seven most sold cards on TG player from unstable Five of them are the basic plans, Uh and the other two are the rogue token and the Brainiac token. So they're very popular and they will go fast. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that there's any more sealed product being made. So there's just not going to be any more restocks so sealed product for this set is already stupid expensive.
2: They didn't, they just announced not that
0: long ago they were doing another Third, one. Yeah, it's already there. Yeah. Oh geez, that was quick. Travis, you want a uh, you want a pick of the week? Um, sure. I'm going to give you a card,
2: but I haven't determined which version of it I like the most yet. <clears throat> but Goblin Pile Driver, uh, Goblin Pile Driver is a has been a mainstay in many competitive goblins decks over the years. Uh card is pretty savage. Skirk Prospector was revealed to be in Dominaria, right? Not crazy about that. Uh, my take is a lot dumber if that's not true. Um, but Skirk Prospector is a pretty big cog, uh, because it allows you to generate a lot of mana, um, that you wouldn't otherwise have with Goblins. Uh, so if Goblins is going to show up in modern, which Skirk Prospector could enable, I think Goblin Driver is really well positioned to be a big part of that deck. It did get reprinted in Magic Origins, but that was a while ago now. Supply isn't that deep. And if you look at the TCG inventory for all Goblin Pile Drivers, so between Judge promos, Origins pre release copies, Onslaught copies, and Magic Origins pack copies, you're still only at like 200. And that's like including every condition version possible. So that's really not that many copies out there. So. If there's going to be a sudden run on goblins in modern, which we've never seen because modern goblins has never been good in modern goblin pile driver has got to be on that list. I just don't know which version I like the most.
1: I, I do like goblin pile driver as a card, but I think the card that's more important for it is that um, goblin warchief is now modern legal. That's also in this set. War this warchief set is like, one. yeah. So this set has worked goblin, warchief, goblin uh, skirt prospector and siege gang commander in the same set like they just reprinting all of the onslaught goblins for so, some reason
2: so here's my problem with goblin warchief you've got anthology 50 50 sellers with anthology 135 with dual decks 250 from scourge 130 from another dual deck and then there's already from from dominaria up so like there's just so many more of it and i'm trying to avoid goblins that were in dominaria i'm more interested in the ones that aren't in dominaria but will be played because of those
1: Sorry, no, I was trying to say that Goblin Warsheet is a reason that Goblin Pile Driver will be good. Oh, sorry. Because well, it gives, it, gives yes. it haste and makes it cost half as much mana. Yeah, yeah. Agreed.
0: All right. Well, my pick was actually going to be Dazed, and I looked into a lot of data, so now I feel sad.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, I don't want to pick Ancestral Recall because we talked about that for a lot of the cast.
1: So are you Dazed and Confused now?
0: No, Jim. Nice try, though. I'm the one with the puns around here, and if you notice, I haven't made a single one this
1: entire cast. I know you just—you must be holding it back. You're usually gushing. So apparently, in Seattle, someone said that the episodes
3: with Jeremy are better than the episodes without Jeremy.
0: Yeah, and they said that to Ed's face. It was great. That was the that's one person that like said hi to Ed. Like, that's this cast needs some more. Unfortunate.
1: Puns. I am so sorry for that person. I am. I was extremely tilted. So we, either we needs, either
3: we need to step up our game or
1: I'm not gonna lie though I I didn't realize until he just noticed, he just mentioned it right now that he has not made any puns that have made me like want to leave the cast. I've been which a good boy. Usually happens at least once a cast.
0: No man, yeah. I've been a good boy. That no, I know, and I, I'm I'm
1: appreciative of it.
2: That person is what we in the business refer to as a smooth brain
0: or a broke brain. Okay. Or chill. I've
1: never heard of those terms before.
0: So just as like a, something to keep on your radar, because uh, someone who's currently sitting next to Ed actually helped me with this. Does anyone know what I have Uga, or uh, Eldrazi Temple's TCG low is right now? If you had to guess. It's like, it's like $12. Ed, you're not supposed to do this. You're supposed to I was going to say $10. Don't for a living. Guess. What so
2: was I thought the this question?
0: card was still $6 to $7. Eldrazi Temple is now like TCG low, like $9 to $10. Uh, it's starting to go up after the Eldrazi versus uh, whatever dual deck is, like, out of circulation. Um, I think this card goes to, like, 12 to 13 in the U.S. because it's already going up overseas. Uh, it's just something to keep your eye on. Like, there's no pick of the week here. It's just like, hey, uh, watch out. Because uh, for some reason, I thought these were still 6 to 7 bucks and they're not. So if you own one, congrats. Your portfolio went up.
2: Yeah, I noticed that this week, too, actually, just because I was like, "Oh, I wonder if I can use this as a pick. And, like, not really, but I did notice that the price has been bumping along.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to go with Chalice of the Void as my pick. This is a card that's already started trending back up. The buy lists for this card were insanely strong at Seattle. Uh, In fact, like 10% more than TCG low at Seattle uh, due to international demand. Um, I think this card goes back up to 60 real fast. Uh, this set has only been out for two to three weeks. Why is Travis giggling?
2: This is a funny tweet.
0: Oh, yeah, I'll get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just really like Chalice, and I think this goes back up to 60. So if you don't have them, like get them. Those cards he's playing pretty much every format, even Vintage. So it's actually too good for Vintage. People do
1: not play them in Commander.
0: What if you're playing against a Cobalt Cheerios deck?
1: Checkmate. You you still don't have it in your deck. Checkmate. Because nobody plays a Chalice of the Void in Commander. I refuse to agree with you, Jim. There's like a 90% chance if you cast that card, you're just going to be too drunk to remember to trigger it when someone casts a spell. Yep.
0: All right.
3: The Masterpiece variation on Chalice is also in low supply, especially considering how that card is a four of. So I expect that one to pop very soon. The bind is a little bit higher, but... Chalice is one of those cards where people want to masterpiece out, you know, shops or something in Legacy or, or not, sorry, not Legacy and Vintage. Like they start with one, but there's plenty of other decks like Al Drazi, any sort of like the Moon Stompy uh, that play for Charles. So get your is now if you didn't buy them already.
0: All right. And uh, as a way to greet, and thank our listeners that are watching live. We have just tweeted out Ed's picture behind the scenes with another person that listens to this cast that's currently hanging out with him. If you want to see how what Ed does when he's recording, uh, that is now live on the Cartel Aristocrats Twitter. You can find us, as always, on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. You can find us on uh, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and, of course, our sponsors, gatheringmagic.com. Where can people find you guys?
3: Uh, I'm currently downtown, in downtown city right now. I'll be at the GP the next, uh, I guess starting Friday until Monday. So if people want, <clears throat> if people are on site, I'll be, I should be on site almost every day. Come by and say hi, and you guys my can find name, me at, at uh, Edwin13 on Twitter.
1: My name is Jim Casale, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore. You can find my articles on gathering magic every other week. <laughs>
2: i'm travis allen i'm on twitter wizard bumpin b-u-m-p-i-n uh i write every monday for mtg price uh, with the watchtower series i also do mtg fast finance and if you're sitting in front of your computer right now take to twitter uh to tell
0: corbin that those stakes look like shit oh yeah uh we'll get there in a second i'm jeremy um I should be at GP Hartford. I have another 10,000 miles left to fly to get there, so we'll see. Uh, We're not doing a cartel meetup in Japan, I think. Don't get mad at me if I said we were. Um, Find me on Twitter, at MissouriMTG. We're signing contracts this week for our modern 5K, which will probably have a smaller turnout than our legacy 5K. Uh, but I'm flying in for that again because I know a lot of Cartel listeners like him. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. This is episode 93. If you have ideas on what we should do for episode number 100, please tweet them out to cartel underscore finance because we have no idea. So that would help a lot. As always, we will see you next week. Have a good one. Bye. And
3: we're offline.